Donald have given me the greatest Christmas gift of all. Sexual gratification in the form of your slow demise. <laughs> you have no idea how long I've wanted to say this. Lock him up! Uh -oh. Oh. No! 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 Are you alright? Oh, God, Melania, I'm so scared. Oh. These spirits, they showed me things. I know what I need to do now. Mm -hmm. I need to erase seasons one through 14 of The Apprentice. Mm -hmm. Fire Robert Mueller. And live from New York, it's Saturday night. <laughs> Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 43, Episode 7 of SNL with host Saoirse Ronan and musical guest U2. I'm John Murray and with me as always is comedy aficionado and workplace sex criminal Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or rather Apple Podcasts. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, Enjoy. So we got official word on the remaining episodes for December. Next week, December 9th, we're getting host James Franco backed up by musical act SZA. And then December 16th, Kevin Hart with musical guest Foo Fighters. I'm pretty excited. Three of these uh, uh, names are good friends of the show. Right. James Franco, of course has done a behind the scenes documentary for SNL. Mm -hmm. uh, he shows up in, in episodes as cameos, uh, even when he's not hosting. Yeah. Kevin Hart is uh, coming into his third time hosting, I believe. Mm -hmm. And of course, Foo Fighters was my favorite band growing up. So obviously I'd be thrilled about that. I think we're going to see him in some stuff. Yeah. Aside from uh, their actual performances. We very well might. Before we jump into our recap, I want to go over a couple pieces of listener feedback that we got. Listener Ad Weasley says, I felt Saoirse Ronan was funny, but underutilized. She held her own, but a lot of material didn't seem to live up to her abilities. Do we feel like Ad Weasley's onto something there? Could be. Perhaps the writing staff was like you and me, who had no idea who she was. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard to write for someone when you basically have no idea who they are. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, you could say that she was playing it straight for the most part and really was not the centric fulcrum of a sketch. Yeah, they they felt like safe rules that she was in most of the time. But I think she did good with what she had. You know, we've had some rough goes with uh, other actresses who aren't <laughs> sure. usually in comedy. Right. So, yeah, while she didn't go too far out on a limb, I'm happy with what I got from her. I agree wholeheartedly with Ad Weasley here. I think that the show was maybe consciously trying to make sure that they were keeping her situated in roles that that weren't really reliant on her or her abilities. But I think it was a huge misstep because I think from what we saw on the show, she's very capable and she didn't show nerves. She didn't miss Mark. She didn't flub lines. She did everything she was supposed to do while... Uh, holding impressive accents while just really playing roles, like re just really getting in there and digging with the rest of the cast. So I think if the show had a do over, they would probably really be excited to maybe push things further and give her something meatier to, to bite into. So if they ever have her back, I would expect that the show would probably 
come up with some more fun material and maybe let the sketch hang on her more than kind of having her be the straight person or, you know, some other uh, minor or complimentary player in, in a sketch. So I, I, th- I definitely think there is something there. And uh, I, I would like to see her back. I think she is one of the stronger female actresses that they've brought in. It would be nice. Mm-hmm. And I think this sometimes happens when you see uh, repeat hosts coming in for their second time. Mm-hmm. You know, if they were invited back in the first place, it means the show liked working with them. Right. But they tend to take a little more risks with uh, second time hosts after they've been proven. Mm-hmm. I, I would definitely like to see what she could do on a second outing. I, I feel very confident that she could bring more than we saw tonight. So Ad Weasley, I think you summed it up well. Now. How about what listener snails, lime and B spit asks? He says, do you guys feel that we have fewer recurring characters than usual and more political impressions? Uh, so just compared to any like midterm season where maybe politics isn't such a ever present feature of the show, do you feel like they would have more recurring characters than we're seeing crafted for season 43? Yeah, you could argue that. Yeah. Kind of feels like they've been trying to catch lightning in a bottle. A second time. Sure. That's a tough chase and often does not go well. After watching this episode, though, I feel like things are going to start changing because there was definitely a, a certain weirdness <laughs> to the writing tonight. It felt much heavier and much more risky than what we've been seeing. Okay. So it seems like they're finding a voice for these new writers and agreeing on a direction to take the show. Okay. For that reason, we might see them depart uh, from trying to work with what worked last year. Yeah. This is one of those questions where our postseason recap cast will be like a very good <laughs> vantage point to be able to assess sort of what the season ended up building to and whether they did reinvest more in new characters and, and uh, new like fresh sketch material, or if like season 42, they double down on the politics. Yeah. But I think the immediate answer is pretty obvious and that's, Throughout season 42 and now into season 43, they've been leaning so heavily on Trump oriented material and continuing to try and mine his administration for characters in comedy that those really are the reoccurring characters. Yeah. Like what is sessions? If not a reoccurring character, sure. He's a political impression and he lives almost exclusively in the cold open or on the update desk, but still that is what the show has been focusing a lot of their attention and energy towards. So we are getting recurring characters. They're just not the ones that I think are going to be aging well, or that we're really going to want to be seeing that much more of because, you know, the political stuff has been hit or miss. And uh, these characters do tend to run thin pretty quick. So uh, I'm hopeful like you, that maybe they're pivoting a little bit and maybe they are going to find some room for some new material. And I agree with you as well, that tonight might be an indication that they're kind of letting out the leash a little bit on some of the new writers. Uh, A couple of the high points of the night were crafted by some of the newbies. So uh, there might be something to that. And this uh, again is something where time will tell. and, And I certainly hope that, they are conscious of that and making moves to try and bring more fresh stuff to the table. Yes. Yes. Okay. With that said, let's get into our episode recap. Oh boy. Yeah. Cold open. Trump is visited by the ghost of witness flipped and several incriminating figures from his past. This cold open was great. I thought, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're in December now. So I think it was just a little sprinkle of Christmas in there that uh, I felt was appropriate. Okay. Uh, I thought conceptually it was good. I think 
creating a situation where they can do something a little more fantastical, like, you know, have the smoke come up and then introduce a new character from his past. Like that format where it's not just Trump and his aides kind of running through the controversy of the week, but it is a little bit more creative. I like that. I like to see that. I felt like a lot of this was pretty easy, but I do want to applaud them for trying to come up with concepts that are fresh and fun and just kind of, you know, mix up the formula a little bit. And we did see some of that here and that part of it was fun. I did enjoy that. Totally. Let's move on to the monologue. Saoirse Ronan has a very Irish name. Pretty much the monologue subject that I was expecting. Sure. Yeah. I'm sure most people, when they first hear that name pronounced, being like, well, I'm glad I heard that Mm -hmm. because I wasn't saying it right. And I like the bit with Beck. It almost seemed kind of, uh, mocking and patronizing <laughs> kind of just subtly uh, messing with her being like, Hey, my name's really easy to spell. <laughs> see, I don't know if I was getting that off back. I see him more of a oblivious doofus in these kind of roles. Like he's coming out well intentioned. He just doesn't understand how dickish <laughs> it can be <laughs> to just be obliviously confident in, in who you are and everything that comes out of your mouth. I see him more in that role. Uh, overall, was this a win? Was this what you wanted to see? I would say overall, Pretty good win. Absolutely. And uh, Saoirse, she did a good job. Yeah, I agree. I really liked it. I felt like she handled herself pretty good at the beginning as far as having good composure and good energy and trying to sell the jokes. I felt like it was pretty smart how they maneuvered things and how they did bring in that song. And I, I thought that she delivered it surprisingly well. Yeah. Like you don't have a lot of time to learn your bits for SNL, even less so sometimes with the monologue, which can sometimes be in flux late in the week. So for her to kind of have that down and be so precise with it, I felt like that was actually pretty impressive. So there there was a lot of good stuff here. I, I walked away from it feeling very good about the show. So win for me. Yeah. I was also feeling pretty good going into that first pre-tape. So full agreement. Excellent. So let's actually dig into that first pre-tape. Things get real on MTV's Florabama shore when hurricane Irma hits. Fun fact for our audience, this was actually crafted by Luke Null, Heidi Gardner, and rookie writer Andrew Dismukes. So these three were able to collaborate this week and put together something that the show felt was worthy of the top post-monologue sketch slot. So I think that really says something about how well this came together and, and how much the show respected what they were able to put together. And uh, I agree. I thought this was really well done. I thought that where they took each of the characters was really funny and felt fresh having Chris red be the one sensible person in the situation who is reacting the way that someone should, (laughs) if they're in the midst of a hurricane, I thought that was a fun little story to weave through the middle of it. And then to have a really, you know, great shocking finish. That is a little bit more special than we usually see from these kind of promos that just kind of come and go and feel like more standard fare. Right. This had a little bit of, uh, you know, some shades of farewell, Mr. Bunting there at the end. So I, I thought that the whole package was a, a really fun ride. I enjoyed the whole thing. Yeah. And a great use of the new talent on the show for sure. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you see new, uh, featured players come on and then they just, for one reason or another, never take risks. And the show just doesn't change because they don't take the opportunity to actually try something new that might work for that new player's unique uh, talents. Right. Absolutely. So this is a great little uh, showcase for these new dudes. 
yeah, and tonight was a pretty good showing for Luke Null overall. I feel like we're finally seeing a little bit of sort of who he is and the kind of characters that he likes to craft. And Heidi Gardner, I think we were seeing some shades of AJ, the straw-addicted youth. This might be uh, three or four years down the road. <laughs> this is where AJ ends up in her next adventure. But uh, yeah, we were we were definitely seeing some of the uh, unique voice and characters that the new guys can bring to the table. And also having a new writer kind of in the mix as the grounding force for it all. I, I think that that shows that maybe there's some collaboration going on. That's, that's really going to serve the show. Well, that we wouldn't have seen previously, because this isn't just, you know, some seasoned writer that just knows how to run at the show, being able to knock one out because, you know, they know what they're doing. This is an up and coming writer having a chance to shine. And uh, so I think that's really promising. Absolutely. Moving on. Action nine news reports live from the American girl doll store following a freak explosion. <laughs> this is great stuff. Definitely reminded me of, I think it was actually one of Mikey Day's first big things he did on the show. Mm-hmm. Matt Shat is wearing Crocs with socks. Yes. Definitely had that vibe. Yep. The fact that most of the attention was not on the actual story, but on this little background narrative <laughs> right. that is just so much more juicy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It played just as well as that time. And I thought it was a, a good premise to frame that concept around. Yep. It was a lot of fun. We have a lot of these like uh reporter on the scene kind of scenarios. And as long as they don't just rehash the same element each time, like as long as they're finding some new bizarre character to report on, then yeah, these are always fun outings. Uh, I don't think they make or break a show, but I always enjoy seeing them. I, I think they're fun for what they are. Oh yeah, for sure. All right. Let's keep going. We get another pre-tape. It's a music video. Welcome to hell. It's one of our girl power outings. And to frame this, let's consider a little bit of feedback from listener pretty in pink who says these female led music videos used to be written by Sarah Schneider and Chris Kelly without their signature touch. Did it feel a little lacking to you? It felt like the writers were trying to imitate what Kelly and Schneider used to do, but for some reason it fell flat in certain places. What are your thoughts, Steve? Um, <sighs> I don't know if I fully agree with what Pretty and Pink is saying. This does not feel like part of that series of music videos we saw from the Schneider and Kelly team. Sure. You know, I'm not just talking about how they didn't do the roll call <laughs> right. with little baby AD and all that stuff. Right. So that itself was a departure. And stylistically, it was way different. Sure. You know, it's not like they invented the music video <laughs> and they've been done on the show before. This. It's the most recent examples that we can think of. And for that reason, it might be reminding us of that, but I don't think it's meant to imitate what they were doing. Yeah, I actually agree. It's very easy for us to stack up the best of Kelly and Schneider against everything we're now going to see in the post Kelly and Schneider era. And that's not really fair because uh, some of the previous girl power outings, they weren't all like super great <laughs> if we're being honest like there were some great ones but there were also some middle of the road ones too so we might just be seeing a music video here that maybe we don't connect with as much as some of the greatest ones that we've seen over the last five years or so but that's hardly a fair comparison to make i think what we need to do with this one is just look at it and say can snl still make a funny music video in the post kelly and schneider era with its own new tone and kind of like fresh approach. And I feel like this very clearly says that they can, I think there was a lot of 
clever lyricism in this. Like they, they were able to make a lot of really fun points and, and really play with the idea. Yeah. And I feel like what they did with this topic and with this genre of music, I felt like it worked really well. And, uh, I think it's worth a quick shout out to Sudi green and Anna Dresden, the, the two writers that worked on this with 80 Kate and Cecily. Uh, I feel like they came up with something pretty solid here and, uh, Oz Rodriguez directed as well. So this was a good outing. I liked it for sure. I just thought it was a very, well, obviously it's very relevant subject matter. Sure. It, uh, it's a good point to make for sure. And it's going to hurt to address some messed up things head on for a while, but women deserve to be respected. And if it's not happening, then it needs to be talked about. So, okay. I can only assume that you must have some new love interest who you think might be tuning into the podcast. This week. <laughs> you're, you're just looking to score some points here. Yeah. I'm doing a little PR work and, uh, <laughs> hi honey. Everything I said about Melissa Villa Senor, I was <laughs> <Yes>. joking. <laughs> uh, but I, I think you make a, a reasonable point there. Ultimately, this is a healthy thing. And if it means that women have a few more tools at their disposal to be able to fend off, uh, apparently, the zombie hordes of creepy men that just chase them around <laughs> till all hours of the night, then this is progress. So great. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we get another live sketch. A parade of idiots accost the clerk at a Kmart customer service counter. You know what? Maybe it's just me, but I felt like I was watching Mad TV Mm -hmm. for a few minutes here. This felt more like a Mad TV sketch than the kind of stuff that I see on SNL. Okay. Mad TV always felt a little bit more ensemble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was always, you know, kind of goofy and uh, it was more flowy in structure than, than SNL was at times. Okay. And I felt that's kind of what was being channeled in this. I, I'm sure it wasn't intentional. I'm just throwing it out there because maybe someone also had that same feeling. But yeah, it did not overstay its welcome. So I felt it was uh, more or less a, a success for the show. Yeah, I had a similar feeling, but not specifically about Mad TV. I just felt like this is sort of a classic comedy setup that you see in many different sketch comedy (laughs) shows throughout the ages where you've got the put upon straight guy at one end of the scene. And then you've just got this parade of characters that each have, you know, 30 seconds to accost him and just make his life miserable and then move on. And then eventually there's a callback that brings everything to a head. And that's exactly what we got. So yeah, it felt very tried and true that way. Like I, I knew what I was looking at when I was watching the sketch. So if you were seeing those similar kinds of formulas on mad TV, that would make perfect sense. Cause you know, yeah. there's nothing new under the sun. These writers are all watching the same classic stuff and coming up with, you know, new ways to repurpose these structures. So yeah, I, I can definitely see where you were coming from with that. And that, that was my takeaway that this is a tried and true formula. For sure. Not to say that it felt stale or anything. No. Because, you know, culture is always changing. So you can go back to those old tropes with new stuff. Exactly. So, yeah, it's definitely a welcome addition to the show. For my money, I felt like this was good. I felt like it was quick. All the little fun goofs that they found for the characters, I think, all worked really well. So, to me, this was fun. This was, again, one of those not terribly memorable ones, kind of like the action news one where it doesn't ascend to any great heights, but it's still fun. It's still enjoyable while it's happening. And so, yeah. Win for me. Absolutely. Me too. All right. After that, we get another pre-tape. After a devastating accident, Evans is inspired by Lindsay to race once again. This, I think, is our good neighbor piece for the week. Uh, Yeah. And even as far as good neighbor stuff goes, this was super 
weird, man. <laughs> How so? Break it down. Oh, just so many different weird things going on with this. Every element that ran through this narrative structure was just on its head. Weird stuff. Okay. It was just such a mishmash of, you know, like the varsity coming of age movie, but in an office setting <laughs> where they, you know, maintain that high school mentality and that yep. they're racing each other and, and, and bullying each other. Like they're in a cafeteria. <laughs> it's hilarious. And, you know, there was just some very, you know, David Wayne type of blocking choices, like the way that the boss <laughs> dropped out of scene by <laughs> yes. kind of squatting down. Yep. That's how they ended it. The whole thing felt like a dream and I was pinching myself because it was, it was just so bizarre. Mm -hmm. This was a weird one. I loved it. I ate it up. I love how they can tap into the, the look and the musical cues of a certain era of entertainment. Uh, this one being, I, th I think we're squarely in like the late eighties, maybe very early nineties, but it's got the really cheesy, like dramatic music cues that sound like they were done on a Casio keyboard. You've got that going on and <laughs> yeah. they're hitting those cues for the most trivial things. Like that's what really makes these brilliant is they heighten and put all of the dramatic signals on the most trivial, insignificant parts of the piece. Like he's got a little cut in his, his dress pants and that's played up as this debilitating injury that he's suffered. So they've got such a, a fun, bizarre contrast that they're able to create. It's weird. It's hard to sum up. It's hard to put into words, but I love it. I I'm always grinning with this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, man. All great stuff. Yeah. Uh, Greta Gerwig as the boss. Yeah. I didn't recognize her, but Greta Gerwig sounds familiar. She's an actress, right? Yeah, she is an actress, but she also wrote and directed Lady Bird, which is the movie that Saoirse Ronan is in right now that is getting all the accolades for, you know, Oscar buzz and whatnot. Yeah. All right, moving on. Let's talk about you 2 They performed American Soul and Get Out of Your Own Way. I enjoyed these performances. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one felt like a bit of a departure from the usual sound they've had mm -hmm. in the last few albums that I've listened to. Second song was like, textbook new you too to me sure yeah <laughs> uh yeah i had similar thoughts so the first song was a little bit more uh stripped back kind of garage rocky i like that kind of stuff the second one like you said that's run of the mill u2 so not a whole lot to say on that overall i i respect them as a band just you know how tight they are i always find it fascinating to watch how effortlessly the edge is able to craft those effects laden guitar rhythms that infuse the U2 sound yeah. because he's seemingly doing so little, but because he's so precise with the processing and the effects that are layered into it, you get that rich, <laughs> rich sound around it. I always find that fun to watch. So th this was good. I enjoy U2. Yeah. All right. Let's talk weekend update for their lead in this week. Uh, Justin Che are hitting tax reform and Flynn snitching on Trump. Feel like we had anything good in the opening salvo this week. A lot of what Che was laying down mm -hmm. was pretty good stuff. And I like the way that they, put Trump in a corner, so to speak. Sure. Very logically pointed out how he's self-incriminating with what he says on, on Twitter and stuff. Right. I thought they had a pretty good run there with the tax reform stuff. Uh, che pointing out how 
irrelevant Trump is going to be at this point because he's essentially done what his puppet masters have been ushering him towards. Uh, I thought that was pretty fun and poignant and just generally good topical, hard hitting stuff. Overall, I felt like it was a pretty strong outing for Jostin Che. A strong outing indeed. All right. For our first feature, we get Kate McKinnon. As a new political figure, this time she's British Prime Minister Theresa May, and she's there to discuss Trump's anti-Muslim retweets. It seems like we've had nary a week of Kate not showing up at the desk. Did we want a new character from Kate? Definitely wanted a new character from Kate. Mm -hmm. This one is a bit different than what she goes for a lot. Uh, A lot of her characters are very big. You know, if you think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and and all the the Ginsburg... (laughs) Sure. dances and stuff she does you know she can be a larger than life kind of player but she pulled everything back for this one mm-hmm. uh she hardly moved her hands were folded in front of her desk for 90 percent of that and um it was much more nuanced than a lot of the stuff we've seen and okay. it's really great to see her uh explore her range now do you think that was a bit of a handicap for kate because people expect her to be larger than life and for her characters to just have so much like personality brimming over. Uh, do you think having to play a stuffy British person with the stiff upper lip and just very tepid, uh, do you feel like that would have been confining for her? Do you feel like the audience was still connecting with it, even though maybe she wasn't able to, you know, emote or make it as exciting a piece as maybe she could have with a, a different character? At this point, Kate can do what she wants. <laughs> sure. <laughs> even if it's, you know, not her usual stick, if it's kind of different than what people are used to. Mm-hmm. People just love to see her face show up on that show. Right. Yeah. Her instant cachet helps to get people enthusiastic before she even opens her mouth. Yes. There's definitely some truth to that. Yes. And obviously the show recognizes it. There's been no shortage of Kate, even for some characters that it's almost indefensible how often we see them. (laughs) Indefensible. Yes. (laughs) I think that's probably a pretty good uh, take on British Prime Minister Theresa May. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, We get a second feature. Leslie and Mikey Day are back as the Duncans, a married couple that have tried every position in the Kama Sutra, as well as a few of their very own signature positions. I think everybody has a friend that is deceptively sexual behind (laughs) closed doors. It's a relatable character because I think a lot of people know someone like that. And Leslie is perfect for that kind of shy, timid thing, even though she's known for being loud and she has to contain so much energy sure. as this kind of shy, bashful character right? that like the bubbling under that, you know, you know what kind of energy Leslie has. So it helps sell that, that restraint that mm-hmm. she's putting on herself. Yeah. Yeah. It is fun to see her, like you kind of said, brimming over and just uh, giddy with excitement and anticipation for, <laughs> uh, yeah, for more antics with her, her, her poor husband. <laughs> yeah. Mikey also did good. We should probably mention him as well. Yeah. Mikey rarely makes a misstep. Both of them did great. Yeah. Back half of the show, we get a live sketch. Chad incites a bidding war at the Orange Park Acres Tennis Club Bachelor Auction. It showed a new side of Chad. Who knew that there's another side to this (laughs) famously hollow one-dimensional character? Mm -hmm. You know what? I didn't think it was the best use of Chad. I think Chad is way funnier when he's in a pre-tape and they can edit really tight around his reactions. I think it's more fun to have a really fast cut 
to Chad doing his like little slacker quips or whatever. I feel like there's just more punch there and that the character is stronger in that kind of a presentation than in a live sketch where you've got a lot of space between dialogue and between camera cuts. And I just feel like it doesn't have the same kind of energy. So I, I felt like it was a bit of a step back for that. So that's my one critique, but not a bad sketch. Still perfectly amusing. Well, if you ask me, John, I would probably say that this was my least favorite sketch mm-hmm. that features Chad overall. Yeah, that's fair. Because I'm with you on the editing. Right. Editor is definitely Chad's best friend when it comes to <laughs> yes. what makes that work. At the end of Pete's tenure, when he finally leaves uh-huh. the show, I'm going to do a super cut of every single sure. okay uttered by Chad. And it will be glorious. <laughs> I'm sure. Hopefully he does it throughout his entire run with the show. If they've figured out how to bring Chad into the show twice in seven episodes, and this is not the end of Chad, they, they must really love writing Chad over there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think it was great that they explored bringing him into a live sketch because they want to know, like, how well does Chad play in other vehicles? Like, how much use can we get out of Chad? This, to me, just wasn't the greatest use of him. Yeah, we'll see how his weekend update piece goes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you imagine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next. We get another live sketch. Mr. Nystrom, his students, and the janitor smack down the misguided brazen antics of new kid, Brody Chode. I have a lot to say about this sketch, but I want you to uh, break it down. This is our first really big leading appearance of Luke Null. Yes. Do you feel he was able to put his best foot forward with this? Ah, I like how you phrase that because that makes me uh, <laughs> makes me think. Now, Luke Knoll, let's just get it out of the way. Liked what he did. Did a good job. Mm-hmm. Did he show his newbiness a little bit throughout? Yes. I think there were some nerves. I think he's got some cobwebs to shake off. But I see why he was chosen for the show mm-hmm. at that same time. And I see what can be worked on and, and what potentially he has. Okay. I think I had a, a slightly different take on it. My feeling was he came out and demonstrated some real prowess. I thought that how capably he was able to move around the set, right? Cause he had a lot to factor into his performance. He's going up and down the rows. He's got a lot of physical interactions with the other players, uh, a lot of quick dialogue runs that he has to get through without necessarily being in the eye line of the cue cards because he is moving all over. Yeah. So he had to be really sharp to be able to keep up with all that. And at the same time, maintain a character that maybe he brought it with him. Like maybe he's got this guy in his pocket. Like he already knows this character inside and out. Uh, but regardless, he had to maintain that, you know, the energy of the character, the douchey way of speaking and just the, you know, the bullyish nature of it. He had to continue to convey that throughout while dealing with a half a dozen players in the scene, moving around. There was a whole lot of performance there. And I thought he did a really admirable job of that. I thought it was really, really great to see him in my opinion, pull off that whole big, like almost two minute stint of just him owning the space. I thought that was really great. The only thing that made me feel bad for Luke Null was that it's a mean character that is intentionally trying to put the audience off for almost two minutes. So he's not getting the laughs. Yeah. You beat me to it. Yeah. Yeah. He's in the space. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. He's doing it with aplomb. And because of the nature of the sketch and the fact that they wait so long for the turn, uh, he just has to eat all of that like coldness. And I was feeling really, really apprehensive for him. That's the brilliance of it. Yeah. I was so uncomfortable. 
I did. I was like, what the hell is this? This isn't funny. This <laughs> yeah. is just mean. And I, yeah. this guy makes me cringe. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> and that is the brilliance of it. But at a kind of like show level, this is our first introduction to him really like seeing him own a sketch. And it was a really challenging one to be won over by because he's kind of the villain of the piece and there's no real redemption for him. And because the sketch is intentionally trying to make you feel so awkward, it's a little hard to separate that from your like first real meaty first impression of Luke Null. Yeah. We sat in that feeling for a good few minutes. Yeah. So that's going to stick. Yeah. And and that's kind of it. It's honestly not what I would have wanted him to do. I would have wanted him to have just kind of like a triumphant character that gets the instant, like first laugh within five seconds. And then it's just all glory for the next two minutes for him. I wanted that. And I respect what he did. I just don't know how much goodwill it's going to build him with the audience. And as a featured player, uh, I don't think that they're obsessed with that, but it's still got to be a factor, right? You want to be able to please the crowd a little bit and you do want to, you know, you want to have fans and you want to have people that look to you and see the brilliance of what you bring to the, the show. And if, if just at a, at an intuitive level, the character is someone that makes you feel awkward <laughs> <laughs> or you loathe them, you don't want that to be the only character that people associate with you. And at this point, it's kind of like the only character that people can associate with him because he hasn't gotten a lot of screen time yet. Right. So it's not like a seasoned player that's been there for a few years that if they throw out a character that everyone loathes, you know, you already love this player. So there's no liability to it. But with Luke Null, this is all I've got to hang on. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I wanted something that just really allowed him to shine in a more positive way. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. That's a good point. Yeah. I doubt a lot of people who watched the show were like, hey, you had me at Blake Shelton. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He does have a lot of proving to do for a lot of the fans of of SNL. Right. Yeah. Let's see how that affects his his likability. Right. Now, this is all the super fan meta stuff. This goes beyond just whether the sketch was good or not. So let's just put all that aside and let's just look at it as a sketch then. Do you feel like as a sketch- considering how challenging the first couple minutes of it was as they're building to some sort of reveal. Uh, do you feel like overall the sketch worked? Do you feel it held together? And did you get a laugh from it? Yes. Yes. You know, comedians have done the long setup before. Right. Albert Brooks, I think had a very uh, famous tonight show <laughs> mm-hmm. monologue where it was completely laughless up until the very last line. Yeah. Where he, <laughs> where he reveals he ran out of material. <laughs> so, while that is risky, it definitely has shown a uh, good payoff in other um, other usages of it. Right. That being an example. A little Kaufman-esque almost where you're, you're willing to push the audience to their limit and then hope that the reveal is strong enough that everyone gets back on board and sees it as genius and not just you screwing with them. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough line to walk. That's what makes it work. And that's what makes it Kaufman-esque as well. Mm -hmm. Andy Kaufman was there to entertain himself (laughs) just as much, if not more, (laughs) than the audience. Yep. You got to be able to relish in that uncomfortable zone Mm -hmm. for as long as you need to, to to actually pull off that kind of humor. Yep. I applaud the show and the writers for being willing to take a sketch like this and, and not like gut it, like not weaken it by cheapening the reveal. Like I, I do applaud that. And I certainly applaud Luke Null for being willing to step up and play that role. Uh, yeah, just, it's surprisingly challenging material and it just layering that in with where Luke's at with the show right now. It just, it leaves me a little uneasy, but if it's 
evoking such a strong reaction from us, then I think we just got to chalk it up to there's, there's some genius there. We'll just let the chips fall where they may with Luke. Hopefully this, <laughs> this isn't uh, much of a blow for him, but yeah, man, we're freaking talking about it. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, this is probably the the meatiest part of the cast tonight. <laughs> Let's jump into our 10 to 1 sketch. Aer Lingus pre-flight announcements. Oh, it was a magical sketch. Magical. <laughs> this was uh, the first time we saw Saoirse use her natural accent since the monologue. Mm-hmm. She does such a great American accent, you could almost forget between those two occurrences that she was even Irish in the first place. Right. But yeah, she's got a beautiful voice uh, in her natural accent. <laughs> Cecily was fantastic as well, and it uh, it was it was fun to watch. Okay, yeah, this was silly, <laughs> so silly. Don't have a lot of thoughts on it. A lot of dogs in the mix, which is always fun. At least you know in house to see all that unfurl uh, is always a treat. So they they were getting some easy laughs <laughs> from that. I don't know. It, it is what it is. It was a ten to one. It was a little shaky at moments. Um, but it was it was fun, silly, crude at moments, ten to one fair, and uh, it is what it is. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. All right, so let's get off the ten to one sketch. Let's look at moment of the night. What took it for you? My moment of the night was something I didn't even talk about while we were talking about the sketch. Mm-hmm. But uh, Alex Moffat's final mic dropping, <laughs> oh, devastating, yes, nail in the coffin. <laughs> To Luke Knowles, uh, new student character. Mm-hmm. You could not put your foot in your mouth any deeper <laughs> than making a jab at a man's dead wife. Yep. It was just so delicious <laughs> and definitely my favorite moment. Yeah. And Alex Moffat continues to impress. He had a little performance moment there where he held back his words a little bit, like he had to swallow and just kind of compose himself. There was just a yep. split second there where there was a little bit of performance that didn't need to happen. All he had to do was say, yeah, my wife's dead. And that's the joke. It lands. But still, he's as fully realized a janitor character as you're going to see on SNL. And it makes you feel for him all the more. So yeah, Alex Moffat, good for a moment of the night. For my moment of the night, I'm actually giving it to Saoirse Ronan in her monologue when she first runs through her, this is how you pronounce my name song. Hmm. I thought the amount of precision that she brought to that and just I don't know just how composed and capable she was. That was a moment that made me feel really good about her as a host. And then she didn't disappoint from there on out, but that was the first moment where I said, Oh, okay. You know, look what she can do. Look, <laughs> look how she can hold something together and, and carry a, a little ditty like that. And just, it just, it felt very polished and uh, well-performed and that just made me feel good. So that was a moment that stands out, not an important moment, but just one that made me feel good about the show. So I'll go with that. Good one. Best sketch. Going for that uh, pre-tape featuring Greta Gerwig, yep. The Office Race. <laughs> Maybe it was a, a polarizing sketch. I can see a lot of people just being too weirded out to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I'm weird enough to enjoy this kind of stuff. So me personally, that was the sketch of the night. Okay. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it too. Actually, the the moment at the end when the discount Mac and me shows up to tell him that the inspirational girl was actually a ghost. <laughs> That was going to be my moment of the night. I forgot that. <laughs> so yeah, if there's like one moment in that sketch that I feel really sums up just how bizarre Beck and Kyle are able to take these premises. I think that's a good demonstration of it. And yeah, this was a, this was a good sketch. I, I enjoyed it too. It was, it was up there for me. Definitely. Way up there. Yeah. For my sketch of the night, I'm going to go with Brody Chode 
digs his own grave <laughs> on his first day of school. And I'm not picking it because it was the strongest sketch of the night or the funniest sketch of the night. I'm picking it because I feel like it was the bravest <laughs> for many reasons. Uh, I feel like conceptually you can lose an audience when you wait that long to reveal the joke. And I felt like it was really brave to <laughs> have Luke Nall come out and try and carry that untested. And I thought it was brave of him just to be willing to be the the villain of the piece and just commit and just double down on it and just yeah. go full out on it. So there was a lot of stuff that I was impressed by and it had its moments too. It was, it was perfectly fun. And uh, even though it was challenging, there was still a good payoff. So I did like the ride end to end, but it was definitely the one that just roused me the most emotionally because I'm like on the edge of my seat, praying that Luke doesn't fumble this and just hoping that this turns around quick while he's still got the audience. Like I was just watching this, like a boxing match, <laughs> you know, like white knuckle, just tense. Yeah. I got to give it to that. Cause that, that was the most rousing moment from the whole show. So that's my sketch of the night. And I'm glad it is because that was my runner up. Sure. All right. MVP. I'd like to give it to Mikey day. Okay. Mikey day, uh, had some really strong material that he was uh, responsible for selling. Mm-hmm. You know, while Alex Moffat had my moment of the night, when you think of across the board, Mikey Day is more or less the MVP. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of obvious to me this time around. Yeah, I can get behind that. Mikey Day was ever present tonight. So if we're doing it by the numbers, makes perfect sense. Uh, I'm going with Luke Nall. I feel like this was the first time that we really got anything meaty from him. And not only did we get some good stuff from him, he was part of the the rookie brain trust that brought that MTV pre-tape to air. And they were able to make such a good piece that it got the opening spot of the night. You know, that's pretty solid. So I feel like he deserves some props for that. But then he also took on a, a pretty weighty role in that classroom sketch. And I feel like there was some fearlessness in that. So I, I think that there was a couple really good moments from Luke Null and we've been waiting to see it. And I feel like this is, <laughs> this is his official introduction. This is when he's arriving and, uh, I want to, uh, take notice of what he did tonight. So I think that's worth an MVP nod. Definitely. And, uh, that's great that we're giving it to him. Definitely the least proven cast member by far. Mm -hmm. He's still got some catch up to do, but at least he's in the race now. And I, I like that. <laughs> Toads pick boats. <laughs> okay. On a scale of classic, great, decent, Week or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? I'd like to give this one a classic. Really? Ooh, that's <laughs> quite the reaction from you. Well, okay. Uh, break it down. Why is this a classic episode? This is a classic because I feel like this season is taking a turn. This is the turning point. I could pinpoint this episode as where the writers are showing their value and what a new voice can do for the show. There were so many things that are usually the weak part of the episode. That was actually the strong part this time. Plus everything else was also acceptable as well. So I'm more than satisfied with this episode. Okay. I just feel like they didn't have any cheap gimmicks other than like a John McEnroe cameo. They didn't pull out any like special tricks to get viewers. You know, we had a relatively unknown host, a band that nobody's particularly excited for. I'll be honest. I mean, they do sell like crazy, but. Uh, it had nothing on its side that made it easy for it to be a successful episode. And yet they succeeded in my opinion. Okay. All right. I guess that's a, a pretty roundabout way of arriving at classic, but 
hey, <laughs> uh, it is what it is. I'm giving it a really solid decent. What? I feel like this episode was perfectly serviceable end to end. There was no bad sketch, but there wasn't any like high highs either. Uh, I feel like if they'd been more willing to go down some adventurous territory with the host, maybe, you know, they could have had some high highs, but I feel like it was a safe show with solid writing and, and like decent material, but tried and true standard sketch fare. There wasn't anything insanely brilliant about it that I think elevates it into greater classic territory, but it also wasn't a roller coaster. It wasn't like we had one really great moment that salvages an otherwise really like uneven show. This was super even keeled. And I feel like, you know, that's a decent outing for SNL, but I don't know what I could point at here that really is great. I mean, the meta stuff, the excitement of seeing Luke Nall get some moments that is great as a fan to be able to, you know, follow his trajectory. But I don't think that that necessarily translates to an exceptional show. I just think it translates into one that piques our interest because we we pick it apart a little bit more than the casual viewer. But just as an episode on its own, I feel like it's right down the middle, which ain't bad. Just not classic. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, Do we have a rebuttal? (laughs) Um, Want to do some point counterpoint on this one? I don't okay. I feel like an ignorant slut and <laughs> I'm being generous. I know that, but this was a personal classic to me. Sure. I'm a weird guy. So this weird episode was like, it felt like it was, it was made for me in a lot of ways. Gotcha. No, that's fair. Nothing wrong with liking the show. I liked it. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with it too. I thought it was a perfectly good show. There was a lot to enjoy. A uh, very steady show, very even keeled. So uh, I don't think we're saying anything too different. I just, I don't think I maybe connected with it quite the way that you did, but you know what? That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get roasted. I can feel it. So uh, you want to say anything else about the episode or do you think you've uh, dug a deep enough grave? I think I'm up to my neck now, so <laughs> I'm going to respectfully bow out. All right. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our repertory player patrons, Jonathan Jordan and Aaron and Trader. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host James Franco and musical guest SZA. This has been episode number 35 of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night. Have a pleasant tomorrow. Thank you to you two, to Alec to John McEnroe. This has been such an incredible night. It's been a dream come true for me to be back at home in New York. Thank you so much to everyone who came out. This is amazing. I hope you enjoyed your night. Well, let's get back into this. Now, House of Cards is ruined, and that really sucks. Well, here's a list of stuff that's ruined for us. Parking and walking and Uber.